You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, 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 what is up, good people? I'm so glad to have you here with me today. I really, really appreciate you tuning in, as always. I don't have too much to go over before we get into this episode, so I'll make this intro nice and short and sweet. But I will use it to say, if you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to keep it around and you'd like to buy some gear for yourself, there's an easy way to do that all in one go. All you have to do is go to ToneMob.com Sweetwater for any of your Sweetwater purchases and a little bit of that is going to come back and help support the show. So if you're looking at a new cable or a mic stand or a microphone or a guitar or a pedal or literally anything that Sweetwater carries, not just the stuff that comes up on that suggested list when you click my link, all you have to do is go to ToneMob.com Sweetwater, do all of your browsing and buying after that, and they actually really help the show out a lot. They're very generous with their percentage Um, They're very nice to me over there, so that is one way to do it, but they don't carry everything, and for that, you can go to Reverb. You can go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb for any of your gear purchasing needs that Sweetwater doesn't carry, and they will also send a little bit my way, and it doesn't cost you anything extra with any of these links. It just helps keep things going over here and keep the show humming along. So that's probably enough for this section of plugging. Let's get into the episode with my man, RJ Ronquillo. We've been needing to do this for a very long time. He demoed the Model 1 back in the day. We talk about all that stuff. He's been killing it on YouTube. He's a monster player, a great dude, and we had a really, really epic talk. So let's get into it right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar things occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have long overdue guest, Mr. RJ Ronquilio. How you doing, buddy? Hello, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Blake. Man, this has been so overdue. It's ridiculous. I know. (laughs) I finally made it. It it should have happened years ago. I think we've like DM'd about it off and on forever, and then like we'd see each other at NAN and be like, "We got to do it." And I then, know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then life, you know, and things. yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I first became aware of you uh, through our mutual buddy Alex, who used to work at Solid Gold Effects. Mm-hmm. Um, him and I were very close, and you know, when when I got together with them to do the the Model One, all of what was that like four years ago or something yeah. uh you were like one of the first people on the demo list and that's when i first became aware of your work and you did a killer demo and as you've progressed at least in my viewpoint you've went from less of a just just geared demo youtuber and more into a informational you know personality for lack of a better term on top of doing the really amazing demos that you do and i wanted to talk about that whole journey and how you got started playing guitar the whole nine yards. Let's let's start yeah, from the beginning. Let's do it. So when did you first start playing? I I can't remember. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> no, um, I feel like I started noodling around with the guitar when I was like 
nine years old. And if I remember correctly, you know, my dad, growing up, my dad was the instrumentalist. He was just, you know, a hobbyist, but he also, he had piano, he had guitar, he had kind of drums and saxophone all around the house. So I was surrounded by instruments. And um, I started playing piano when I was six and I kind of got bored of it as I got older. And um, guitar was the next instrument really that piqued my interest. And a lot of it had to do with just the times that, you know, this was like the mid eighties, MTV, the radio. So guitar was definitely uh, on the forefront and I saw it all the time. And, you know, I, we had a couple laying around the house. So I, I kind of just noodled around and figured out not chords, but just kind of like riffs and, and all that stuff. And I think my dad bought me like a student acoustic guitar from like Kmart or something. And it came with like a little, crappy booklet that taught you like uh campfire chords and i like proceeded to learn all of those in the day and then i think at some point when i was nine or ten i i asked to take real guitar lessons so it was probably around nine or ten i always say that like it was the movie back to the future that uh made me really want to play guitar mm-hmm. so it was around that time i think you know 80 85 ish where I, I I begged to start taking guitar lessons. So I took guitar lessons at a local music store, kind of learned the basics, and um and I enjoyed it. So I, and here I am. <laughs> you've done but, you've done so many things professionally. You were you have played with so many people in so many different genres. I mean, do you remember when your first like quote unquote professional gig was? Yeah, I feel like my first big kind of touring gig, you know, where we had a tour bus and my meals and hotels were paid for was with this um, reggae band called Inner Circle. Now, some people don't know the name Inner Circle, but they've definitely heard their songs. They did um, the song Bad Boys, which is the theme song to cops yep okay and yep. they had another song called sweat which was like a la 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 long a la you know a nine they were like an early 90s reggae band they they did pretty well so at the time i should preface this that saying that i i went to music school at the university of miami in miami florida so after graduation i i stuck around town just to work and uh you know before this i was i was just doing like local cover band gigs and wedding band things and corporate events or whatnot just to you know just just so i could play guitar and make a little bit of money um but this gig came along i was actually playing at uh i was part of the so the miami heat which is the basketball team mm-hmm. uh in miami uh every friday night me and uh, this band would play as kind of the entertainment, you know, during the game. And then after the game, there'd be like an after party at one of the the clubs inside of the arena. So we would play there every Friday. And one night, the drummer for Inner Circle, who was friends with our keyboard player, came in just to check out and hang, hang out and meet everybody. And I guess at the time, they were looking for a touring guitarist. And he saw me and, and asked me if I wanted to audition which really was, can you want to come over here and come over to the studio and rehearse? And uh, so I said, yeah. And, um, and that's kind of how it happened. 
he just uh, saw me playing at you know covers at this little gig and he uh he asked uh, me to come over to the studio to he says audition but it was really like i guess i had the gig at the time because they were really desperate <laughs> <laughs> so just you know a, a quick rehearsal just to make sure i wasn't uh crazy or, or you know crappy at playing reggae and um that was my first touring gig and we um we started playing gigs around Florida at first, and then that summer, I believe, we went on like an East Coast bus tour for, I think it was like a month, month and a half. So that was my first exposure to a real kind of touring experience. And then from there, I think it's hard to say how it all snowballed after that, but um, through them, I got a bunch of different recording sessions because like i said i went to their studio to rehearse and they own they still own to this day a really nice recording studio in north miami called uh circle house studios mm -hmm. um so after that tour i began to doing began to do more uh session work and then um i got some random calls to do some other touring gigs with some latin artists and and local local stuff so i feel like i was playing less uh, less and less uh, local cover band and, and wedding band stuff and more of just like touring and, and recording session work. This was probably around 2003, 2004-ish, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it just kind of all kind of fell into place. I would meet new people. I would meet people that were producers or musical directors for other acts. And um, that's how I kind of started getting a name in the scene as as being a, a touring guy and when did you decide hey there's this youtube thing i wonder what that's about oh long after i i think um so i started my well i i signed up for youtube in 2006 and i didn't really do anything it was just more of a a place to hide house my videos you know personal stuff mm -hmm. and i feel like um, somewhere around 2009, 2010, no, actually probably 2010, 2011, I should say, is when I started doing, um, really rough gear demos. It was basically for Eastwood guitars. And the story is I wanted a discount on one of their guitars, which I still have. It's the, uh, Eastwood tuxedo. And, um, the agreement was at the time I wasn't really touring. I still had, you know, my resume, but I wasn't actively touring. So it didn't really make sense to be like, Hey, I'm a touring artist and can I get an artist discount? So I said, Hey, why don't I do a, a YouTube gear demo? Cause it was kind of a new thing back then in 2010 mm -hmm. ish. Definitely. Um, and I'll do a gear demo, help promote the brand or whatever. And, um, and, you can and they'll they'll give me a discount on the guitar. So that's what I did and it did fairly well. It did okay at the time and then they sent me another one um I forget the name of the of the model. But um that did pretty well as you know also. So those were just like two videos I did and and gradually they would send me a guitar here and there and I would uh demo it. I think they sent me like um couple airlines and a couple like a 12 string and um it just kind of grew from there but that was just something at the time that i was thinking was 
this is something I like to do on the side. I'm still a touring guy. I'm still a geeking guy. That's my main thing. That's where I'm making most of my money. Um, Cause I'm trying to, th- I think at the time, I don't even think I was charging for these videos. It was just kind of like, yeah, I'll do it when I have time. No problem. Um, and if I want to buy the guitar, just give me a discount or something. So I wasn't really doing YouTube gear demos for pay way back then. Um, and it wasn't until, I mean, eventually I started charging, but it was still something I did on the side cause I was still touring. Um, you know, I had moved to LA, I had moved to Chicago and then now I'm living in Nashville and I was still, you know, being a gigging musician. Um, and then at some point, I think in 2018 is when I kind of decided that I wanted to do YouTube full time. I was getting tired of, of touring and traveling. It was kind of wrecking havoc on my health <clears throat> as far as, you know, not getting a lot of rest and it was just getting harder as I got older. And I think I had just turned 42. But um, I think eventually I I cut the cord with with just my touring gigs and made a clean break and say, look, I want to take a chance. Cause really it was, you know, a big chance to drop, you know, having a touring gig where I was, you know, guaranteed X amount of money every year. Well, except for 2020, but we don't have to talk about that. I was going to say, weirdly, that was a great move. With it was a great call <laughs> looking back. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Um, so yeah, end of 2018 was my last full year of, of touring and um 2019 is when i started doing youtube full-time um but when i made the decision i i i I was still unsure of moving you know pivoting to the whole youtube thing so i made sure that i had an inkling that i was going to do okay doing the youtube thing because i was still scared you know it's it's a scary thing to to switch industries oh yeah speak definitely so um but i'm glad i did it because it's worked out so far knock on wood right (laughs) yeah i mean i had sort of a similar experience i mean you at least stayed musical i switched from petroleum to this (laughs) so it was kind of a a jarring uh jarring thing different yeah yeah but it was the transition i had to make sure like you said i had to make sure that it was going to i had to prove that it was going to work before i've ever felt comfortable making that transition and one thing i've told other people whether they're trying to start a company or whether they were trying to do something more creative like this or youtube or whatever like do it for a good long while first on the side Mm mm-hmm you know, learn all your, you know, not all your mistakes, but get some of those early mistakes out of the way because you're going to make mistakes. There's no avoiding that. And get them out of the way while you still have another source of income. So you yeah. can pitch in that blow a little bit. Get things, you know, sort of figured out. I mean, you're always learning, but get things sort of figured out before you jump in with both feet. Now, some people need that pressure in order to succeed. They just won't do it unless they they hold both feet to the fire. But like for me, it lowered my stress significantly to already have a few years under my belt of like, okay, this is sort of predictable. Now Mm -hmm. I can kind of count on it to a degree and now we can go. Otherwise it would have been terrifying. (laughs) I definitely was testing the waters for at least a year or two. I mean, I think 
even in 2017, I was thinking about leaving touring. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, yeah, I'm pretty sure 2017 is when I had the idea to to stop touring, but I was too scared. So I continued touring for the next two years, but I knew I had in the back of my head, I wanted, I was making a plan to officially quit at some point. I just needed to, um, make sure that the YouTube stuff was in place safely enough for me to, to just totally switch over. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing trying to go independent, you know, when you're used to just for lack of a better term, getting a check from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. You really got to shift the mindset. Definitely. I like it. I like being my own boss, uh, way more. I do too. I, uh, I, you know, there's stressful points to it, of course, but I went from, you know, a place where I had to put my my uh, vacation time a year in advance, you mm-hmm. know, and even then you might get called in, you know, and, you know, just because it says you're going to be there for eight hours, you might actually be there for 14. You don't really know, like right. really unpredictable like that um, for everybody, not just for me. It was that way for everyone that worked there. And uh I really found that that stressed me out more than anything when people would be like, Hey, are you going to be able to come to your sister's birthday? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's the worst. Um, just to be able to be like, yes, I will make that happen. You know, barring anything <laughs> insane. Like that's, right. that's that control has been, ugh. I mean, that's lowered my stress significantly. So I, right. I definitely can relate. Nice. So I told, I usually wait a little bit, but since we are, are kind of talking about this stuff already, I told the, the Facebook group that you were going to be coming on the show. Cool. And I've gotten, I've got a question specifically around what we're talking about from Eric Marrow, who's also a YouTube guy. Hey, I know Eric. Yeah, he's great. Uh, what tips does RJ have to growing a music slash gear based YouTube channel today? Wow. That's, a, that's always a hard question. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, at the, um, when we had to start quarantining, quarantining last year, I had a lot of friends that were touring musicians that were asking me about starting, you know, a YouTube channel and getting started with that, that stuff. And as far as there's a couple of things I, I can suggest and some of it's gear related, for me, if if you're a musician that wants to do stuff on on YouTube, y- you know, obviously your audio has to be really good. I think, you know, since people are looking at you for whether it's audio related or music stuff or anything like that, I think the audio is extremely important. And while you can get away with just having, you know, an iPhone and, and just recording stuff like that, I think if you were to start investing in 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 gear to really up your to level up your game on YouTube I think the first thing I would look at is making sure you're getting you know as good of audio as you can into your recording device or whatever so whether that means you know miking your amp or going direct into your 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 computer or something or you know just having a, a good quality mic for your voice I think more than that, you know, more than buying, you know, a, a fancy Sony camera or, you know, fancy aperture lights or, and all that stuff. I think first concentrate on on your audio, because at least for me, when I'm watching videos, 
if um if it's just like a really bad um audio situation or like they're just using the camera mic in a in a room with lots of uh echo and all that stuff that's like a big turnoff to me to watch Mm -hmm. so as someone that enjoys good quality audio i you know i appreciate when people spend the time to get their audio stuff uh situated and as far as like you know starting the whole youtube venture um i usually tell people that uh don't be so stressed out about views and subscribers um and to just be yourself and and show your own personality because there's there's a there's an audience for everybody on youtube like literally you could make a video about the dumbest stuff and people would watch it and that's oh, yeah. i mean there's tons of evidence on out there like i've you know i i watch videos that have like 5 million views about the dumbest stuff i'm like how how are they getting <laughs> these views i'm like well there's people in the world that will watch anything so you know stressing out about uh you know your subject or whatever you're doing or whatever or how you're talking it doesn't really matter like don't stress out too much about it. just be yourself and and be show your personality so um what else what else can i say what was the question again what was the original question <laughs> asking about growing a music or gear based youtube channel yes i for me like i don't I don't really even look at the analytics every day to my videos because I'm not sure how I'm not really sure how that can really help me um, as far as like, oh, this video didn't do so well. So I'm going to change the thumbnail or change the title or or do another video just like it. Like, I don't understand a lot of the YouTube analytics and strategies. I just I just for the most part make videos that I like to make whether people watch them a lot or not you know it's weird sometimes i'll make a video that i think people won't enjoy but whatever i enjoyed making it and and that gets the most views i'm like okay that's weird i didn't think anyone would be into this video but it's doing really well and then on the other hand like i'll make a video that i think is going to do great and only gets like a couple thousand views or something. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I can't, uh, I, I can't, I've, I've learned that I can't really control the situation or I just haven't learned how to control the situation. And I'm cool with that. I just go with the flow, do videos that I enjoy doing because that's really why I'm on YouTube is because I enjoy, you know, the process. I enjoy planning videos, creating the videos, filming, editing, all that stuff. Um, if I start doing videos that I don't want to do, then it just seems like work. And right. I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I am not nearly as experienced with the platform as you are, but I, I've been, well, we talked about it off the air, but I, I made a pretty good push on it last year, and it was definitely working it was like oh look the more i do the more people pay attention weird mm-hmm. how that works right yeah. um and what i found too is like that predictability was really difficult um you know certain things i like 
I don't really watch unboxing videos because yeah. I'm like, I don't like I'll find out what it is eventually if I really care that much. I'm not going to sit here for 15 minutes and watch you take it out of the box. You know, it's not really yeah. what I like, but I got a guitar in for a giveaway and I genuinely didn't know what it was. I knew it was a Squire. That's all I knew. I didn't know what Squire it was going to be. And so I'm like, well, I guess this is an opportunity to do an unboxing video. And of course it was like one of the best performing ones that I yeah. did. Which I'm like, this is, this took me like an hour to make yeah. Yeah. from like setting up to uploading, you know? And like, sometimes these videos take half the day and that's like, well, nobody watched that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so, kind of weird like that. And, um, Unboxing videos are, are, are interesting because I'm kind of the same way. Like I'll watch an unboxing video, but I'm going to fast forward to when you're, you're actually playing on the guitar or whatever. <laughs> right. So I'm like, okay, that's what it is. But the fact is like it creates, you know, tension and people want to click on the video um, to, to see what it is. So not, not that it's clickbaity, but it kind of works, you know, it's psychology. Mm-hmm. Where like, ooh, what is this? You're going to have to click on the video to find out. So you're getting views, even if people are fast forwarding. So it's just, you know, little strategies about YouTube. And, you know, one of the biggest things that YouTubers will always tell you is uh, consistency is always going to be key. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's, you know, once a week, twice a week, once a month. Um, that's just key to really just getting subscribers because um, you want to um, let people know that they can expect a new video, you know, every week, every two weeks or whatever. So that'll get them to subscribe to make sure that they know, you know, when you're going to have another video. Whereas if you're just kind of posting a video every, every month or you, you post, the, you know, three days in a row and then nothing for another two months, you know, it's not going to attract uh, people to subscribe and uh, kind of stay on your channel. Yeah, and it's the same thing with with podcasting. It's just that podcasting is is a little bit less algorithm driven than mm -hmm. than YouTube. But if you you know, like the biggest mistake, and I've said this before on the show, but the biggest mistake I ever made was early on in I think in 2015 or 2016, I was trying to do this. I was working with different clients with marketing stuff and I was still working at the terminal. So I basically had like three jobs and, wow. you know, was trying to be a husband and all that stuff too. So yeah. um, it was, it was really challenging and, you know, something had to give. And unfortunately it was usually the podcast because it wasn't providing any immediate, you know, income at the time. And so that's what had to slip. And I, I should have like made a, an episode and been like, hey, everybody, things are really insane right now. I'm not quitting, but I'm going to be pretty spotty for a while. Instead, what I did is I just was like, oh, I'll get to it next week. Oh, I'll get to it next week. And then I couldn't get something scheduled or whatever. And so it would, like out, next week turned into like three months. Yeah. And I talked to some listeners at NAM, you know, a year or so after that. And they're like, yeah, we thought you quit. We just thought you just got burnt out and and we're done. And who knows how many of those people never came back. 
you know they right. they just they never they got other things to do they have lives <laughs> they're not going to yeah. be sitting around with bated breath waiting for me you know like they got things to do so consistency is really important but also just keeping that those lines of communication open with your people if if you do have to drop is important too so that so that they know yeah and, it's definitely you know and a lot of it is being on social media and just making sure that people know that you're you're still around and you're still active even if it's just like you know posting a photo on instagram once in a while or, or tweeting something just you know a lot of times you you know i'll i'll hear nothing from people that i follow for like years and then suddenly they'll pop up and say yeah, i'm still here I'm like okay well you should let us know <laughs> yeah know, just kind of like making sure that um the fo- the people that are following you are you know you're still alive and you know they stay with you and and uh, continue to follow yeah i think that's that's really important too because you know maybe you can't sit down you know whatever life situation is being handed to you at the time you can't sit down and take half a day and make a youtube video but like you know maybe you can do an instagram post maybe you can you know on whatever platforms you happen to be engaged on, you, you know, some of that stuff doesn't take that long and at least lets people know that you're alive. And oh, yeah. I say that from a, a company perspective too, you know, pay, Facebook pages for businesses are not that great generally as far mm-hmm. as getting eyeballs on them. But what, if you notice, like if you're on Facebook at all, or even if you're not, if, if you're like wondering what's going on with like a local restaurant, and you go to their Facebook page and like, oh, they haven't posted anything in like nine months. They might be doing perfectly well and busy, but in your head, you're kind of like, are they still open? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just the weird world we live in these days. It's a, it's all digitally driven, whether we like it or not. Yeah, basically, it, it rules the world. It does. It does indeed. Well, let's uh, let's get back into some of these. Other Facebook group questions. Let's see what we have here. Um, Chris Reynolds, he wants to know, what is your favorite Eastwood guitar you've ever demoed? Ooh, my favorite. That's a hard question. I, I mean, I, I'm i going to go say, like, my the first one I ever got, which was the, the, the Copper Airline Tuxedo, which is kind of like a, a K Barney Kessel type of guitar. Mm-hmm. I think it's like semi-hollow, but there's no F-holes. But that's one that, like, to this day, you know, it 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 it's not like any other guitar that I have. Um, and it's not that expensive, um, but it's just sounds and it feels great. The pickups, what I don't know what what kind of pickups there they are, but they sound great. Um, and that's I mean, it's the oldest guitar from Eastwood that I've that I have and I still own. Even it's though I don't play cool. it as much, in fact, I, I can't remember the last time I ever used it in a video. But it's one of those guitars that um, is just uh, a lot different than any other other guitar that I own. It and it, it looks awesome. I really every time I see it, and like it kind of makes me smile. It's just big and I don't yeah, know. It's just, I just love it. It's it's interesting. And I used it uh, when I first got it. I used to use it on gigs, like jazz gigs and blues gigs, and um, it's just got a vibe to it. And, you know, a couple years back, we did like a a custom 
tuxedo like rj model like a limited run and i kind of modeled it um after the tuxedo it's basically like a a a double cutaway tuxedo kind of a bigger body but um still p90s and and you know same same neck same uh specs just a double just a different body Mm -hmm. and um very nice yeah it's my favorite all right, we got another one here. Rick Calhoun. He says uh, one of one of his favorite channels, so that's nice. cool. Nice, thank you, Rick. Uh, he says, ask him what music inspires him these days, and if he could be the lead guitar player for any artist, who would it be? Mm-hmm. Man, these days, what am I listening to? Or what inspires me? Anything can really inspire me, but... Um... I don't know. It's like lately I've been going through this Dave Grissom kick and he's, he's, a, he's a player that, you know, I've enjoyed since the nineties at least. But, um, I started listening to not only his, his latest trio record, but like some of the older John Cougar Mellencamp stuff and Joey Lee Ellie stuff. And, um, he's just one of those players that, I like I I don't realize it, but I do model part of my style off of his subconsciously. Because when I listen back to his playing, I'm like, I kind of do a lick like that. I'm like, oh, that's what where, where I must have gotten it from. But um, like literally, the past couple of weeks, I've been listening to a lot of his stuff. Um, but you know, I listen to like '90s hip hop and um, gent music here and there, and a little bit of everything so it, it changes daily um I'm, in fact let's pull up my spotify uh there you go history to see what i i've been listening to it's always a good move i got uh some genuine yeah <laughs> I got some, yeah uh, <laughs> i got a lot of 80s uh r&b like uh morse day cameo shaka khan um and then I was saying John Cougar Mellencamp. Um, and and if you haven't uh, seen on some of my recent videos, I got into this style of music called AOR, Melodic Rock. So I've been listening to like kind of deep cut uh, 80s and 90s melodic rock, like some Starship, some Europe, some okay. of these albums that I never heard, listened to back in the day. Because, I, you know, it's funny, there's a... I'm fascinated by the style of music because I feel like it was a music, it was a style that was really gaining momentum late 80s into the early 90s, which we all know was kind of the the time when it was going from hard rock to grunge. So I feel like this style of music was getting way lost in the background, but people were still producing it, you know, way into like 92, 93 or something. So it's, it's basically like uh, almost like what hair metal turned into in the 90s, even though we were already listening to, you know, Seattle grunge and, and Green Day and all that stuff. So it's kind of like the music that the time forgot. So, and I'm <laughs> rediscovering it now. I'm like, whoa, I never even heard about this Starship album or this you know, third or fourth Europe album. <laughs> right. Everybody knows Final Countdown and that's pretty much it. So Yeah. That's like <laughs> the only album, like the first two Europe 
her first three Europe albums were the only ones that I really knew about, but obviously they were making albums after that. I just, you know, wasn't interested at the time. And now I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. It's a, it, it seems like hair metal's kind of natural progression. You know, I'm not super familiar with it outside of, you know, Europe, basically. But mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, it, it started to slant like less uh, not that hair metal is overly aggressive the way like thrashes or something, but it started to slant like less aggressive, less downfall fall of Western civilization and more like fun and anthemic and like yeah. party, not necessarily party, but like theatrical, like almost like hair metal went Broadway or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I think, you know, it depends on the band. Some bands kind of, tried to go a little grungier. I remember Kiss, They, I think it was like 92, they came out with a record called Revenge. And, you know, some of their music on there were a little bit heavier and quote-unquote grungier just to, you know, keep up with the times. Even though it was still Kiss, you know, they were still cheesy songs. But um, it's funny how, you know, it, it went from you know, rock and roll all night and party every day to like some really dark sounding music. Yeah. It's, it's weird to think about like Pantera was a glam band. Oh yeah. At one point. <laughs> I know. Could you imagine? It, I haven't heard any of that stuff. I don't really know what it sounds like, but if you go pull up pictures of Dimebag, it's like spray, what in the yeah. world? <laughs> oh yeah. Is he wearing makeup? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very jarring to go from the Pantera that we all know to like, wait, they were a glam band? Yeah. I think they I think, just had to pivot until they found their niche. Yeah. I think that was before Phil joined the band though, which makes some sense. So I'm it was just sure. the brothers, yeah. Yeah. But it's still kind of funny to go dig up those old pictures and be like, huh, what yeah, you with spandex and hairspray and <laughs> There was a lot, a lot that went into that look. You know, there was a lot of time put into the uh, the hair metal days. Seemed yeah, like a I think, lot more effort than I could ever put out on it at anything, really. Yeah, I think um, I'm kind of glad that it's partially over, just because it's too uh, too much work. Although I applaud them for doing it. It sure gave us a lot to talk about, and a lot to look at, and a lot to. <laughs> yes i don't know absorb <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh man it's a uh, music music is such a funny thing because i i've talked about this so many times recently but like i i really pigeonholed myself when i was a teenager i was like i listen to this this and this and everything else is for morons and yeah and it well, was like why did i do that that wasn't it doesn't even make any sense, you know? It's I think it's part of being a teenager or a young person is just being like, this is what I think is cool and this is, that's it. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. So I think the more mature you get, the older you get, then you're more open to, you know, different things, different styles of music, you know. For me, you know, listening to jazz was I don't even know how that happened. I was probably like 13 and I think I got it in my head that like oh if I learn how to play jazz I'll automatically be just a better musician or a better guitar player. And that's kind of like what a lot of people think. But you know, I forced myself to listen to jazz and eventually I I, 
started to understand it and enjoy it. So, you know, some people will force themselves to listen to jazz and, and still hate it because, you know, they're not in, you know, something that they're not into. But um, I think a lot of things, a lot of, a, a big part of, of listening to jazz is understanding it. And, um, you know, that went hand in hand with my education and, and just taking jazz guitar lessons and all that stuff. So I think that's probably the only reason why I, I appreciate jazz is because I learned what the hell was going on. <laughs> Do you think your music school experience like helped inform some of that? Cause you could appreciate what was going on a little more. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were literally forced to take classes called jazz appreciation, <laughs> music, <laughs> you know, music appreciation and stuff. So it was kind of forced on us, but um, I, I, I seriously still enjoy it to this day, listening to it because it's, um, it it does make my brain work a little bit differently when I when I listen to jazz. So Who are some it, of your your jazz you oh know, pillars, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, as far as guitar players go, I think Wes Montgomery was big, definitely. Um, Jim Hall. What did I listen to way back then? You know the the usuals like Pat Metheny and Mike Stern and John Schofield. But um, I really like the the classic jazz guys, like old, old George Benson, um, Tal Farlow, Kenny Burrell, even like, you know, Charlie Christian and Django stuff. I, you know, was more into that than I was into, you know, Matheny and, and Mike Stern and all the newer guys. But... Um, Part of jazz is also listening to, is getting inspiration from the other instruments as well. So, you know, Miles Davis and and Bill Evans and, you know, Coltrane and all those guys. Um, that's one thing I learned was, you know, when when I was learning guitar and learning how to play music, I was only listening to guitar players because like, well, that's, I want to be a better guitarist and a better musician, so I'll only listen to my instrument. But you know, listening to jazz, they kind of tell you, you have to listen to other instrumentalists too and, and gain inspirations. And a lot of, you know, John Schofield will tell you a lot of his playing is is supposed to sound like a horn, like a saxophone player. So it kind of got me into, you know, out of the box of just listening to guitar music and, and listening to, you know, non-guitar music, whether it's, you know, a Miles Davis record or or, you know, uh, Bill Evans piano records, which is nothing like guitar, but, you know, you can kind of dissect it and pull stuff that you can translate to the guitar um, if you go deep enough. So that's a benefit of listening to, to jazz and other styles of music. Yeah, I've had this really weird experience while I've been working on this record this this year where, like, I primarily listen to guitar-based music um, um, not exclusively, but almost exclusively. And then the sounds I'm making on this, like they, at times they barely sound like guitar, like at all. But then on this last track, I had some Rhodes pieces and the way I ran them through effects and things, the Rhodes part sounded more like guitar than the guitar part. <laughs> it was like, what am I doing? I don't need <laughs> like, flipping it. I'm making such weird stuff. 
That's when awesome, I'm left, yeah. left to my own devices. Uh, all sounds like horror movie soundtracks, but yeah. I, <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a couple tracks. It's strange to, yeah, I guess, man. to say the least. It's it's weird, but cool. My wife told me like maybe that's just what you do. It doesn't sound like anything that I listen to. Yeah, so that's the weird part. That's the part I've had a hard time accepting. But once I did accept it, it's like okay, well, let's just see what happens. Like it's definitely not for everybody. It's, right, it, it's barely for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that it doesn't sound like anything that you were influenced by or listening that you listen to but that's it's funny you know i tell people you just listen to music and it kind of works your work it works itself through your your brain and eventually comes out through your hands and and that's you know that's what you spit out so everyone's different so it's interesting to hear how people digest music and influences and then kind of translated into their own compositions and playing a hundred percent. Cause I I'll listen to things sometimes that artists that I really enjoy are like, Oh, I was really influenced by this person. You have to check them out and I'll go back and listen to them. Like you were <laughs> like, okay, well that's cool that you were, but I don't hear it. Sometimes you can pick it up. You know, right. sometimes it's more obvious, but sometimes it's super not. And uh, that's what makes it all so fun. We're all dealing with the same, what is it? 12 notes <laughs> or mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, yeah. unlimited combinations thereof, which is we even spend hours and hours talking about how to manipulate those 12 notes into with these weird stomp boxes. And, you know, I know I'm, I'm just I'm glad that we're limited to just those notes. That's enough to last a lifetime. It's enough to last probably all of human civilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we've. Yeah. We're we're expanding on that all the time, in the in so many different ways. But um, yeah, man, it's a it's fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. What is one of the uh, the craziest or like most memorable experiences that you've had in your career? Like something that really stands out to you when you think about it. Um, a lot. <laughs> There's a couple. Trying to think of uh, the the funny ones. Um, I do remember. So one of the the bigger tours that I did was with Ricky Martin, and this was in two thousand and seven. Wow! And um, I, one of the, the you know that whole tour was memorable, but one of the gigs, one of the particular gigs that was the most memorable to me on that tour was playing in Argentina. Uh, we played at uh, at River Plate, which is the big soccer stadium in in Buenos Aires, and um, it's huge. I think I think to this today, still to this day, that's probably the biggest venue I've ever played as a headliner. And I remember it was forty degrees, so it was open air. It was outside basically, and it was cold and it was rainy, and it was like forty degrees. And my wardrobe for the tour was basically shirtless. I mean, I had, you know, a shirt, but it was like, um, basically like see-through and didn't really button up. I don't even think it had buttons. So it was just kind of like hanging over my upper body. So definitely, definitely not, exactly. (laughs) Definitely not, uh, keeping me warm, uh, for this 40 degree gig. And I kind of begged the wardrobe, 
if I could at least just put on like a long sleeve just for this one show because it's, you know, it's freezing, it's windy, it's rainy. And um, they said, nope. <laughs> like, great. Oh, wow. So I'm just like dying backstage. I think we had to, de- we even had to delay the show because of rain and wind because they, you know, it was getting windy enough to where they were afraid that the the lights and the speakers would be uh, a problem. So we delayed it. I remember and being outside backstage, hoping that we would cancel the show, but it went on. And it's funny, as soon as I got up on stage, I didn't feel cold anymore. And it wasn't because the lights were warming me up or anything. It was just like that, uh, the energy and um, just being all hyped up. I, I didn't uh, really notice being cold or, or anything. So it's weird how, you know, you, that crowd energy and just the excitement can, can transport you uh, into another dimension or you know make you forget about things but yeah that was definitely one of the memorable gigs i remember just taking a guitar solo i think it was like in the rain and i was out on this this long kind of uh catwalk and it was raining and it was freezing but i was like oh this is awesome this this is the biggest stadium ever and i'm having fun so whatever so it's one of those things that just makes you forget all the bad stuff yeah, you go through a lot of pain and a lot of frustration and irritation and you know, gas station tacos to be able to do these things, right? Yeah. And it's those moments that make it all worthwhile. Most definitely. And I've had, you know, every gig, every touring gig is not the like is not the same. It's not like that, but um you have to remember that you know, you're you're out there playing music for a living and there's other people that would kill to do what you're doing. And, um, you should just be, you know, happy and humble and blessed. And, and, um, that's something that as a touring musician, like towards the end, I definitely felt like I'm not enjoying this anymore. So instead of just like staying out on the road and complaining, the best thing to do is just, get the hell out of there and and do something different so i I, I have a lot of yeah i have a lot of friends that are you know that are still touring but all they do is complain (laughs) about (laughs) traveling and oh you know my hotel room wasn't ready or all this stuff i'm like man don't worry about it dude because you're playing music and it's better than you know an office job or whatever that's the thing is when when I talk about doing any sort of creative endeavor, whether it's music or painting or videos or whatever you're doing, I just think about, I'm like, oh man, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to promote. It's a lot of work to stay relevant and stay in front of people. It's a lot of work to create the thing in the first place. It's a lot of work, work, work. And then I think about it and I think about the old jobs I used to have mm-hmm. and I'm like, Mm, this is not this is not work hanging upside down in the middle of an excavator covered in grease you know <laughs> bending my arm in a way that it shouldn't be bent to try to tighten a hose that was work like eating dirt and you know stripping roofs and <laughs> like yeah. all that that was work that's what people are really doing out there right now like 
it really puts it into perspective of like, okay, yeah, this is work and it's valuable and it, and it's a thing that, that people enjoy, but you could be doing that again. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I will, if I have to, I'm going to pay the bills. So if I have to do that stuff, I'll, I'll do it. But yeah, I, I sure would rather do this by a long shot. Yeah. I think just the important part is to enjoy what you're doing or, you know, figure out how to enjoy what you're doing because that'll that's that'll that's you know all about longevity that'll keep you in the game and you know keep you less stressed but like you like you said there there are people that would kill to be able to do that yeah all over the world that was one thing i i noticed on some of my tours in the past is like the the veterans that were on the on the in the band or whatever were the ones that were I don't want to say complaining, but they were complaining. And I was kind of like the green, the newbie. I'm like, this is great. We're going all over the world. And this is amazing. I'm enjoying myself. And to see like the older guys, to see my future basically saying, ah, this is not as great as it used to be or whatever. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I didn't understand that. And I'm like, can't you just see that this is, you know, this is still cool. Right. But I think, you know, it really depends on the person. Some people love it and and uh, enjoy it, and some people just see it as a job, you know, nine to five type of thing. And this is something that they're doing for money, even though they don't necessarily enjoy it. So it really depends on the person. Definitely, definitely. Well, we're getting down to the last little bit here, and I've got a few classic questions to dig in, dig into before we wrap this thing up. But before we do that. This is your time to shine. You can say whatever you want to say. You can give a shout out to your cousin. You can <laughs> talk about your favorite tacos. I don't know. Whatever you want to talk about. This is your your chance. So go well, I don't have an album to promote. I don't have any products to promote. Although I do have uh, uh, some slide courses on Udemy. I have one that's uh, how to play slide guitar and... Uh, one that's uh, 30 essential slide licks. I think they might be the the top slide guitar courses on Udemy right now. But anyways, oh, yeah. that's really my only my my only uh, lesson products I I can uh, promote. But um yeah, every Saturday I do my my YouTube live stream Saturday morning coffee Q&A and uh every weekend it's a little bit different. Sometimes I show off new gear sometimes i talk about uh what's in the music news like you know new gear that's coming out new guitars uh sometimes i have a guest um i know in the past i've had a couple guests live so it's always a fun time and i i i say that it's kind of like the uh the adult guitar players version of saturday morning cartoons <laughs> depending on what part of the world you're living in i mean sometimes we have uh guests from australia so it's like three in the morning where they are but i call it saturday morning coffee q a sounds awesome all right everybody the link to rj's channel will be in the show notes so it'll be nice and easy for you to find you can also just search him on youtube it'll pop right up it's real easy to find so all right the last few questions of the podcast here we go number one what is your favorite boss pedal um <laughs> This is going to be a weird answer. Uh, I have a modified uh, EQ pedal. 
Oh? Yes. Modified how? So there's a company here in um, Nashville, XTS, that um, they make pedals, but they also do a lot of modifications. And they they make a modified EQ pedal, um, seven-band EQ, that uh, Tom Bukovac actually helped design, which is, you know, the the the, uh, the stock EQ, Boss EQ, is kind of like frequencies all the way from the lows to the highs. Well, this one's modified, so it only focuses seven bands just on the mid range. Okay. So it's more like a, you know, just focused strictly on the on the mid range uh, frequencies. So I use that um, to sh- kind of shape my tone. Um, and there's multiple ways I can use it as a boost. I can use it almost like a range master boost, depending on how I, I tweak the, the sliders. But it's a it's a really good way to kind of just um, liven up a sound. If you're you know if it's not feeling that great, you can pop that on either before or after your overdrive pedal, and it kind of livens it up. So it's kind of like it's not a secret because obviously you know Tom Bukovac's talked about it and. Other people have, I think Tim Pierce has talked about it as well, but that's kind of just like a magic pedal that makes everything uh, a lot better. Nice. Very cool. I did not know that existed. So the more you know, I learned yeah. something every day on this, this there show. You go. All right. Final question. This is the one that gets people a little riled up and a little bit controversial. Families have split up over it. It's a, <laughs> it's a big deal, but uh, choose your, choose your answer carefully. So. What is your favorite kind of pizza? So I'm lactose intolerant, so I don't eat a lot of regular pizza, although mm-hmm. I will on occasion just suffer if I really want a pizza. Um, I've got a couple favorite pizzas that I've had in the past. Um, when I lived in LA, there was a place that we would get a pizza from that did this like fig and goat cheese chicken pizza that always blew my mind. It was like a fig jelly goat cheese. And then it had like some chicken on it. Mm. And, um, that like to this day was like one of my favorite pizzas. Cause it was a little bit of s- savory and sweet and salty and all that stuff. Um, as far as pineapple on pizza, I really don't mind pineapple on pizza as long as it's like, you know, cut up small, big chunks of pineapple. Oh, forget about it. But the ratio has to be, you know, correct. I think it's more about the ratio of, of toppings than, than, and then the actual toppings. I think that's probably pretty important, uh, regardless of what style of pizza we're talking about. You got to yeah. get the ratios right. You got to have everything line up just perfectly if you're really going to have a top-notch pie. Right. I think as far as a style, just basic New York style is... Is my favorite, even though I'm from Detroit and Detroit has their own style of pizza, you know, between like Detroit pizza and, and Chicago and New York and whatever other styles of pizza. I think you can't go wrong with a real New York slice. Yeah, you really can't. I, I love New York style pizza. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I was I was a skeptic for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was like, it can't wait. Well, it looks like pizza. What do you mean? It looks like pizza. And then I went there and I had it and my yeah. life was changed forever. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's the type of pizza that's worth the lactose. <laughs> right. Uh, Chicago deep dish is not worth it to me. Um, 
one you know one piece is fine but like i i think it's more of a touristic tourism thing chicago deep dish i don't think yeah. real uh because i mean i lived there for a couple years and i don't think uh it, you know locals really eat chicago deep dish pizza it it always seemed like a calzone to me like it's a pizza cousin it's definitely yeah. pizza related but it's kind of its own thing it's like like a calzone or a stromboli or whatever it's sure. it's it's pizza-ish. Yeah. But, but then you could I say think. lasagna could be pizza-ish. So it's almost like a pizza lasagna or something. Yeah, it's like a hybrid. It's, I think that's pretty accurate. It sounds yeah. right to me. Hey, you're there in Nashville. Five Points Pizza. I really love Five yes. Points. Yes. In fact, that's probably the last real pizza I had was, was Five Points. Um, I think, I mean, of all the pizza places that I've eaten in town, that's probably my favorite. And, that, you know, I haven't eaten that a lot. Um, but that's probably the one that was like, wow, this is really, really good. Yeah. Five points is my favorite that I've had there. There's also one called Joey's and it, yeah, people have been talking about that. That's more like New York style, right? Like, yeah, I think they're just those, the owners are straight from New York. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I went there one time. Uh, it's actually right by the string joy shop. And so I was down there doing some work, doing some electrical work and, Mm -hmm. I was like, what What about Joey's? I heard that's good. And then Scott was like, yeah, we got to go. We got to go get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. All right, everybody. This was a lot of fun, RJ. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yes. Long overdue. Long overdue. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. For RJ, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you have it. There's another one for you. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please make sure and check out RJ's channel. That link is in the show notes, or you can go to YouTube, type in his name, and it will come right up. I promise. He's got loads and loads of content, and again, he is a monster player. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you would like more of this chat and more content in general and help keep this thing going and literally help keep the lights on, you can go to Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash tonemob, where for just five bucks a month, you will get extra episodes to your ears every week. That's extra audio content right in the player you're listening to this on over at Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash tonemob for that. That's also in the show notes. I know, I know this is boring and there's always, you know, always lots to talk about, but you can also help me out by checking out my music. My music is weird. My music sounds like it should be in a horror movie, and I've got an EP coming out really soon, and if you want to stay abreast with all that, you can follow me on Instagram at American Cyclops. That's the name of my musical project. I'm really excited to get all that out in the world here relatively soon, and I'm having a lot of fun getting in that creative groove and making scary sounds. They're, <laughs> they're definitely weird, definitely uh, strangely structured, and uh, I use a lot of pedals on it so you know it's pretty out there again you can follow on instagram at american cyclops for all that you can join along in the conversation around this show about gear food whatever else pops up in the facebook group you can go to the tone mob on facebook and you know if you're gonna bother being on facebook you might as well have a good time that group is really solid everybody in there is really cool and yeah that's pretty much it I'll let you get to another episode, but yeah, I hope you stay safe. I hope all is good and, you know, take your vitamin D.
do some push-ups, uh, stay healthy. Uh, and yeah, okay, I love you, bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.